0: Today, uh, my name is, uh, my name is Jeep Underwood and we're going to be continuing a series today that we've been in a few weeks just called, uh, The Reason for Me. And, uh, we've been looking at the question of why do I exist? That's something we've been looking at the last few weeks. And so far in the series we've, we've really looked at what the scriptures have to say about purpose and meaning in our lives and how that's really tied to knowing God and loving other people, knowing and loving God and loving other people. And if you've missed any of the other messages, you can go online uh, on our website. You can you can check that out and get caught up if you if you've gotten behind. Uh, but this morning we want to look at the question, why do I exist here and now? Why do I exist here and now? Like why in this time period in history? Why why in the family I was in? Why uh at the work I'm in? Why at the location that I live in? Uh, you, you may not be aware of this, and you may be aware of this, but any of us that live in California, we live in the most, the most densely populated state in the United States. In fact, up on the screen, I'll show you just an image of, uh, some map based on population density. And you can see that California gets pretty big. And, uh, New York and Texas are, they might want to argue with us, but they're, they're not quite as, quite as big, quite as populated. I was surprised at Rhode Island because it shows up. But uh, I guess when you're that small, density kind of goes up. You can, if you're an engineer, you can follow that. But uh, but just, uh, you know, density, uh, there's a lot of people around us. In fact, in California, we literally lived in a packed state, uh, except, you know, if you were in uh, Northern California or in the Central California, there's a lot of wide open spaces. But in Southern California and many places along the coast, uh, we're really, we're really packed. And some of us really enjoy being around a lot of people and some of us not so much. And so, you know, uh, that can be a, a plus or a negative depending on uh, the way you're wired. But according, according to a study from a, a couple of years ago, from the time period 2007 to 2016, about five million people moved into California. Like, wow, that's a lot of people. But actually in the same time period, about six million people moved out. And so the net loss was about a million. I don't know if you noticed. I didn't. But, uh, but there's about a million less people uh, than there was back in 2007 you know it can feel it can feel kind of random like where people live and where they where they move and and just uh like where they actually land and you know but people are always coming and going around us and it can feel really random but where i want to start this morning is just this thought and the thought is it's no accident that you live where you do it's no accident that you live where you do uh a few weeks ago, we looked at a verse, uh, where Paul, Paul is, uh, he's given a sermon. He's talking to some Greek philosophers, uh, in Athens. And these are guys, they love to get around and talk about the meaning of life. They love to talk about, uh, all different kinds of existential questions, but they never really did anything much. You know, they just kind of like talking about things. So Paul steps up and he says this in Acts 17. He says, from one man, he made every nation of men. That they should inhabit the whole earth and that he determined the time set for them and the exact, uh, deter- and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. You know, he's, you know, he's talking about Adam. He says from one man, he made all the nations. And one thing we see that one thing God's really doing is he really desires that each of one of us would really seek him out. And really come to know Him. But one thing you also see in this, in this passage is this, in God's sovereignty and His control of His charge of the universe, He really specifically planned that you and I would be living right where we're at. That we'd work right where we work, we'd go to school right where we go to school, and that we'd be in the family that we're in, and that we'd be at this, be at this place in history. That's all been part of really what God's planned for us, each one of us. But for those of us, for those of us that are uh, followers of Christ, God has really placed each one of us right where we're at to be a part of what He's doing in the world. He's really placed us right where we're at to be a part of what He's doing in the world. And what God is doing is He's calling out a people to really, uh, to really seek Him out and really come to know Him in a real way. And really be adopted into His family. There's, uh, the Apostle John, uh, towards the end of his life, he had a, God gave him kind of a picture and a vision of like what, what, how, the, how all this was going to wrap up how history is going to wrap up. And there's a picture in Revelation 7-9 that I wanted to bring out. In Revelation 7-9 he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So John, he saw where this is headed, and that is that... There would be people from every place on the planet, every nation, every people, every tongue, and they'd be a part of His family. And they'd really be enjoying Him together, uh, in, in heaven. That's really like, that's really what the picture is. That's where God's really taking this. And so He sent, He sent His son Jesus really to help connect people to that. In John, John uh, chapter four, John says this. He says, Jesus said to his disciples, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And he said this right after he had spent some time talking with the woman at the well in Samaria. He really helped connect and point her to himself and to God. And then just the fact that God really desired a relationship with her. And she had just gone into town and she got, she's talking to the folks in her town. They're getting ready to come out and really connect with him. And Jesus said, Then that's, that's what really just turns my crank is when I really am a part of what God's doing, what my father's doing in the world, that's why he sent me. and then at the, the day uh, right after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he, he spoke with his disciples and in John chapter 20, John recorded this. He said, Jesus said to them again, "Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you." And so as followers of Christ, we're really here, we're really here because God wants to really use us in the lives of other people. And he really wants us in his family and he wants us to help other people really come to know God in a very real way and get adopted into the family as well. That's a, that's a big part of why we're here. So being sent like this, it's really, it really embodies the great commandment that we looked at, we've been looking at through the course of this, this series. And we saw a few weeks ago that there was a lawyer, a lawyer came to Jesus to try to trick him and try to trip him up. And he asked him a question, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus gave, the greatest commandment he also gave a second commandment that he said was intertwined with it he said his, he says the second commandment is just like it and that is to love god and to love your neighbor and that they're really interconnected with each other he really connected those two thoughts together and what we find is that loving your neighbor is really crucial to the reason why we're here the loving your neighbor is really crucial to the reason why we're here so there today this morning what i want to do on this morning i want to walk through another Another encounter that Jesus had with a lawyer. Now I don't have anything against lawyers, but uh, I know at work, uh, whenever we, uh, whenever I have a great idea, they usually tell me why it's illegal three different ways. So I'm like, "Oh, well, I didn't realize that was against that law." Well, we won't do that idea. So, uh, but anyway, the, so the, so anyway, another lawyer comes up to Jesus, and this is, uh, we don't really know the exact time frame, but another lawyer came up to Jesus, and he tries to catch him in a faulty answer as well, and. They wind up going to the same territory that the first lawyer did. And as we go through this morning, I want to just kind of walk through this this exchange between Jesus and this and this lawyer, this expert in the Judaic law, and just kind of walk that through. So let's go ahead in Luke chapter 25 uh, is the start of that. <clears throat> and it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That was his question. Now, that's a good question. That's a really good question. That's a question that all of us really need to do business with. Um, but Jesus knew that there was a question behind the question. You know, Jesus was an incredibly astute person. And he, 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 knew where, he knew where things were headed. And if you ever watch any kind of a news program on TV, you know that questions aren't just questions a lot of the time. They're leading somewhere. So he saw this was leading somewhere. And he, he responded with a question of his own. In the next, in the next verse, he said this, he said, he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it, how do you, how do you read it? So he goes, you know, well, you're, you're a lawyer. You've been, you've been spending a lot of time in this. You know, you read it all the time. How do you see this? And so he takes this question, he turns around and he gives it back to him. And then he says, uh, it seems like this, this lawyer may have, may have heard Jesus's two part answer before. And so he answers and, uh, He says something that is very much like what Jesus said, and that is in the next verse. Uh, He said, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He got it right. He got it right. That's exactly what Jesus had said. And that's really what Jesus' message was. But then let's look at Jesus' response to that. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So he said, you know, you've, you've answered this correctly. He had turned this question around, and he got the, the lawyer to answer his own question. And then he was in a position where he just simply said, you're right. That's exactly it. So do that, and you'll live. <clears throat> and what he did is he put the lawyer face-to-face with his own life and his own choices. He put the lawyer just face-to-face with his own life and his own choices. And the reality is, the truth is, is that none of us can live up to God's standard. And so the, the lawyer, you know, he sees this moment and Jesus said, you know, do this and you'll live. And so then he's like, well, well, you know, where do I do this? He has a crowd now. He asked this in the middle of a crowd. People are looking at him. And the lawyer responded this way. He says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So he's trying to, he's trying to kind of define this a little bit more. And uh he's looking for. And what you find is that this really is the question that was behind the original question. And what he's asking is, what are the limits? What are the limits to this loving your neighbor thing? You know, what, what, are the, what are the boundaries on that? You know, what is it I actually would have to do? And he might have even been trying to get Jesus to say something inflammatory that would make the crowd mad. You know, uh, Jesus had been had said things like, love your enemies. And so maybe he was trying to get him to say something like that. But Jesus saw through all that, and he answered his question with a parable. And his parable has become very, very familiar to us, but at the time it was really eye-opening, and it was really profound. It was something that really kind of just really struck a chord with the people that were listening to him. So let's take a look at what he said. So Jesus' answer to that question was: A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So a Jewish, a Jewish man. This, these are two Jewish cities. He was traveling between them, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed. Leaving him half dead, and so I'm sure as the lawyer, the lawyer was listening. He goes, he's probably thinking like, "Where's Jesus going with this?" You know, I, I just asked a question, and he's, he says, "Well, there's this guy that got beat to half to death." I'm like, okay, okay, I don't really know where we're going, but I'll, I'll, I'll just keep listening. So, Jesus kept going, and he said, "Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road." And I'm sure people were hearing that went, "Oh, good, somebody's coming to help the guy." He goes, you know, by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So Jesus painted a picture. There were two religious leaders who had passed by this terribly injured, uh, Jewish, uh, person and they did nothing. They just, they, they kind of avoided it. They were, they were probably in a hurry to be somewhere. Had things to do, they moved over and they just they went past him. And so, actually, according to the command that he would even been talking about, they, they they were not loving their neighbor. This man would be clearly maybe in that category of everyone's minds that, that that this would be like your neighbor. But so Jesus continued, and this is where he really he really I think began to uh, kind of shock some people. He goes, but a Samaritan, and right then everyone the hair on the back of their necks went up. Because they didn't like Samaritans at all. They was, it was, it was an enemy to them. And, uh, they, they, a Samaritan, and he says, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now the people who are listening, they're probably, they're, they could have very easily been thinking, he's not going to make the Samaritan the hero of this story, is he? And they were probably, they'd probably been thinking, you know, probably it was a Samaritan to beat the guy up in the beginning, to begin with. You know, that's, that's kind of the category they would have had a Samaritan. But the Samaritan, what you see in the story as Jesus unfolds it is he didn't just have compassion, but his compassion really compelled him to meet some needs. And his compassion really moved him to action. And so Jesus continued. He said, talking about the Samaritan, he says, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine then he set on him his own set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him and the next day and people are going the next day he's still involved yeah the next day the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying take care of him and whatever more you spend i will repay you when i come back so he just he just took care of the person and he really met their needs and there's you know very few people that were listening to Jesus, that would have helped the Samaritan, and here Jesus is talking about a Samaritan really helping one of them. And then Jesus, at the end of that, at the end of that parable, he asked a question. He asked a question that redefined the concept of neighbor in a lot of their minds. Um, in Luke chapter ten thirty six, he says, "Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? You know, which of these three do you think?" Proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers now th- now this lawyer was a smart guy, and i wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't a pause right there before he answered because he knew he knew that as soon as he answered that question that he'd be accountable for what he said he'd be really accountable to really the truth of what he said because he had started this off as a discussion on the law and what you needed to do, and so the lawyer said this. He said, you notice he didn't say the Samaritan? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. You know, he basically said, be the Samaritan. Uh, be the one who had mercy. Be a neighbor to the people around you. Jesus took the concept of neighbor and he just turned it on its ear. And, Instead of, he, what he did he changed the question from, who is my neighbor, to, whose neighbor will I prove to be? So he changed it from, who is my neighbor, to, who is, who will I, who, who, uh, whose neighbor will I prove to be? And he, he, he took it and he put it right back into a very practical application, point of application for, for the, the lawyer that was listening. And instead of seeing the neighbor, seeing, seeing the concept of neighbor, as a limiting concept, he opened the whole idea of neighbor to every relationship that that, that you have. He opened that open up to every relationship that you have, to so the folks that are in your family, the folks that uh, the person that you're married to, to people at your work life, the people that you rub shoulders with, the people in your church community, the people in your group. It's really it's the person that's right in front of you. Is he he took like who's my neighbor and he brought it out to whose neighbor are you, and that really everyone's your neighbor. And he really opened that all up, and he took away all the boundaries that that we might have in our mind. There's no ethnic boundary, there's no geographic boundary. It's just people that are around our lives, and he has per, he has actually put us specifically where we're at, around the people that we're around, for the very purpose of connecting with them. That's what he's that's what he's doing. So, what does it look like to love somebody? What does it look like to love someone? Well, from this from this story, you can get a, there's a practical definition. There's a practical definition, and that is that love is meeting needs. That's what you, what you see with the Samaritan is he met needs. And really that's, that's what love is. Love is meeting needs in other people's lives. And there's nothing that makes you feel more loved by other people than someone really meeting a need that you have. And that's really that's really what, what love looks like when you love other people. you know, find ways to take the pressure off people. Find ways to really help them with what they're really dealing with. And then, you know, as a Christ follower, when we begin to understand that God commands us to really show love to the people that are in our path, and that we begin to, and, and we begin to, when we begin or continue to really seek out ways to really meet needs of those people that are around us, what happens is it brings a lot of purpose and meaning into our lives. A lot of purpose and meaning into our lives. And we'll really become engaged in what God's doing in the world, become engaged in really what God's doing. So let's, let's go back to the story for just a second, to the priest and the Levite. You know, you know, these guys were just, uh, they were just too busy with their own agenda to stop and help somebody. They were just, they were just too busy with what it is they had going on. There was a study, uh, that was done in Princeton back in the 70s where they told some seminary students, uh they were gonna they were gonna they, we need to speak on the subject of the Good Samaritan. So they all prepared to talk. Then they told a certain group of those those students that they were late and they had to hurry. And then they they hired an actor to to be between where they were going, where where they were living and where they where they're gonna speak to actually just to be there and just uh to express needs. And uh about they said about seven about eighty eighty, eighty five percent of them were in such a hurry to get there, they, they they didn't really stop and try to help anybody. And I hate so. It's just one of those things that when we get busy, even if we are well intentioned, it's so we get busy where we just don't see the needs of the people around us, and we and we and we run on past them. Now, have you have you guys ever have you ever uh, been around someone like just walking around where they're on their smartphone, and you got to watch you got to kind of get out of their way and watch out for them because they're going to run into you. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. Some people, I see a lot on the subway, uh, going to downtown They People are just, they got their earbuds in. They're looking at this and they're just, they're walking around and I've, several times I've just been walking and I think, surely that guy sees me. Surely that guy sees me. I'm going to hurt that guy if they don't stop. And so I'll stop and he'll, he walks on by. But you're really looking out for people that are distracted. Uh, there's a, there's actually a, there's a sign that you'll see in a few places once in a while. I'll show it up here on the screen. They, you know, looking out for distracted people. You know, they're looking at their smartphones. There's just too much on those things. Uh, you know, when, uh, when you get so distracted, what, ha- what happens when, you know, a lot of those folks like the people in the subway where I'm at is they begin to see people as objects around them, just kind of in their way. And so it's just kind of like they're just trying to, they're in their own world. They're just trying to get where they need to be. It's really easy. It's really easy to get so busy with our agenda that we really miss the people around us. I, and it's very easy for me. It's very easy. It's just very easy to do because there's things we're trying to get done. And so we have to fight that busyness and distraction if we're going to really, uh, make a difference with our lives and be about what God's about in the world. We really have to fight that. I want, I want us to watch a, a video clip, uh, today. And this is last week, last week I we looked at a clip, uh, from the movie Les Mis, And this is also a clip from Les Mis. In fact, I don't know, maybe in a few weeks, uh, we'll actually have seen the whole movie. I don't know. Um, Probably not, but there's a, the clip we saw last week, it showed the main character, Jean Valjean, and the impact that grace and compassion of a priest in his life really had on his life, and that it marked him, and it really changed the way he really related to other people. Well, this is, uh, Jean Valjean went on, and he, he started a business, he, and he really employed a lot of people. He got very busy busy with that business, and there was a person, there was a person that was a part of that, a gal, a woman, that he he was so busy, he didn't see the needs that were developing in her life. He just didn't see her. And then she got to the point where she got really ill. And then something was brought to his attention where he actually connected with her need. He, He saw it, and he was moved with compassion. He began to really help her. And so I want us to just watch this clip, and then I'll come back.
1: Why did the gossip bother you? You didn't have to fire Close it down. I have to give you some choice. It's alright. There'd be no chance. Come straight to me. None of this. You need to rest. You don't want to kiss. I want you to rest. Don't worry. I'll bring your daughter to you. You're going to the Ternardier's? No, I can't. I'll send the money to bring Cassette here. school, and uh, you won't have any more worries. When you're better, I'll find work for you. But you don't understand. I'm a whore. And has the Lord. She has the Lord. He has her father. And you are his creation. In his eyes, you've never been anything but an innocent man beautiful woman.
0: Thanks, guys. You know, he, one thing he said, he said, sorry, I just didn't know. You know, he's just so busy with what he was doing, he just didn't see it. And then uh, when he saw what happened, he felt compassionate. He really helped her. And if you... You know it's, it's a, if you keep following the story, the da- the life of her daughter changed, and it was she had a completely different trajectory in her life than she would have. It made all kind of difference. It makes me think of just the the Samaritan it says that he saw the man and he felt compassionate and it moved him to action. So really, this morning, I would to leave us a couple a couple of thoughts, and that is to fight busyness and distraction in our lives. Just a couple of things, and that is, we really need, we need to grow in compassion. We need to grow in compassion. And we need to create some space in our lives for people. So we need to grow in compassion and create some space in our lives for people. Now, to grow, to grow in compassion, one of, when I think of that, I, I think of, uh, think of Jeremiah, uh, in the, in the Old Testament. He wrote the book of Lamentations. And he wrote it right after uh Jerusalem had been destroyed. And uh, they were taken the, the the country people in the country were taken captive to Babylon. And he's lamenting over what had happened, and he also he begins to see his own life, he begins to see just the things that are wrong with him. And he he, he calls something to his mind about the way God relates to him in spite of the failings he has. And in Lamentations three he says this. Jeremiah says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. I have hope in Him. You know, as as you get close to God and as you begin to, and this is what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, but as you begin to connect to God relationally, to where you 're really uh, really understanding the compassion that he has for you, it builds hope in your life, hope for your future, hope um, of how things are going to turn out for you because god 's really involved and when you're when you 're impacted by god 's compassion towards you and your hope grows like that, then as your hope in God grows, your compassion for other people begins to deepen. As your hope in God grows, you, your compassion for other people begins to deepen. You know, we, you tend to see other, you begin to see other people a lot more. And you see, like folks that, that are not following Christ, they're people that are not believers, and you see that they don't have the hope that you have. It really, it compels you, uh, the love that God has given you really compels you to really connect with them. And you're moved by compassion and you look for opportunities to meet needs in their lives and really to share your hope with them uh peter peter kind of captured this dynamic uh as well uh in first peter uh 3:15 peter says this he says but sanctify Christ as lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence you know he's like we're to be very gentle and reverent and and kind to people as we relate to them But then he says, we need to be ready to share our hope. Like, why why do we have hope? And he says, you know, when they ask you about your hope, be ready to explain it. And that kind of presupposes something, that someone is actually close enough to your life that they can actually see that you have hope. And so what Peter's talking about is living in such a way where you're close enough to people where they can see that you have hope and they begin to ask you about it. And it really opens up a way for you really to speak into their lives and really and really, to help them connect to the one who really loves them and who really wants to be their hope as well. And what I've what I've seen over time is that when you love people by meeting their needs, it really displays the hope that you have. Because, uh, like, when you when someone helps somebody else, it kind of stops them in their tracks. Because most people are busy; most people are going on about their life. There's something about someone who cares enough about you and loves you that gets your attention and there has to be a reason like so you know a lot of times questions about hope they kind of sound like well how do you handle this you know well why are you helping me you know sometimes sometimes questions about hope that's kind of what they sound like and the way that this could look there's the way that this could look in your life uh and how it could unfold is is if you develop a lifestyle if you do, develop more and more a lifestyle of just practically meeting the needs of people around you. You know, looking for small ways to help people as you see their needs. What happens over time is you become known to people as a helpful person. So to a particular person, you you just become known to them as a helpful person, someone who's actually engaged with them, and they begin to see that you really care about them over time. It might be just small little things that you see and you help them with. And then when harder things come into their lives and they really need help, they think of you. They think, you know what? I, you know, they care about me and they think of you and they go to you with some of their questions. And then you're given the opportunity at that point really to help them with those deeper needs and to really point them to the one who really can meet them. Really point them to the one who really wants to be their hope and really help them to begin to learn how to seek God on their own and really help them get connected and actually adopted into the family like you have. Really respond to the offer that Jesus has given all of us. So, and all so, we need to grow in compassion and really just involving people, but to be able to do that, we really need to create some space in our lives for people, some margin to where we 're not so busy that we're just so full of of activities all the time and Boy, i tell you when as as a parent of three kids that can that can happen very easy very quickly there's so much going on, so many activities that you do, you can get so busy with a lot of things but if you and I would say this morning, if you, if you feel, if you do feel busy like that, I know all of us really struggle with that. I know I do. Is I would like to encourage each and one of us to just to spend some time this week thinking through what, what what's a way we could just free up at least two hours this week to connect to somebody else. What's a what's a way that you could change your schedule, change what you're doing, just to free up two hours this next week to really help somebody else. Um, you can set aside some time just to consider. You know, what motivates your busyness? Like, why am I so busy? Think through, like, you know, what is it that's motivating my busyness? Consider if there's some preferences you have that are taking up some time, maybe you can just, uh, you can change some of those and just look for ways to simplify your lifestyle. Maybe find ways to do more than one thing at a time. Uh, but just create some space in your life for people. Really work, just create a couple of hours and then use those two hours just to meet the needs in someone's life around you look around and just get to know someone, spend some time, get some coffee with somebody, spend a little time with someone this next week and, and try to just grow that more and more into a lifestyle. If that's something you already do, just continue on carving out that time to really connect with people. Cause if there's space in your life and you have hope, then you really get opportunities to really share with other people and really help them and really love them where they're at. As a, as the last word today, I just wanted to share first John three sixteen. And that's just we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's how that's what John would say to us this morning. So I'd like to ask the band to go ahead and come back up. And uh as they do, uh this is a great time to fill out continue to finish out your connection cards. There's anything you wanted to sign up for or something you wanted to fill out and then uh we're going to go through a few next steps uh you know maybe for you you know maybe maybe it is just taking some time to think through your time maybe that's something you need that's something you could really work on this week uh maybe it's as we said the last few weeks just carving out some time to really spend time with god last week maybe you made a goal of a, of a few days to spend with him stay at that continue meeting with god and then maybe just pray each day this week for opportunities to show god's love to other people Pray for opportunities where you can really see the needs of the people around you. With that, let me pray, and we'll get back to service. Dear God, Father, just uh, very grateful to you for what you've done in our lives. And God, I just pray that you would feel the freedom to use us in the lives of other people. And God, I pray that you would just see us as change in your pocket, that you could pull out and spend any way you want. God, I just pray for the rest of the service that we just continue enjoying you and in your name we pray Jesus amen